Good evening, everybody. This is Will Cooper of uh, the Cigar Coop Coalition here, and welcome to our 2024 Great Smoke pregame show. I am joined by my uh, fellow Coalition colleague and uh, the uh, editor-in-chief of the Smoking Syndicate, Mr. Ben Lee. Ben, how's it going tonight? Ah, doing good. A little cold up here in the mountains, but uh, other than that, really good. Yep. Glad I'm in here. Yep, I'm in an undisclosed location in Miami. Um, it's no secret I, I'm in Miami, but I'm here for non-cigar stuff. And um, but I'm not in my normal location. People always know where I am in Miami. I'm actually not in my normal location in Miami. So, um, I got two days down here. Uh, I wish it was more fun, but uh, it won't be. You know, it won't be. So, um, it's been uh, a little cool down here, is what I'll say. So, and the winds were kicking up down here today. So, uh, so all good. Um, but you know, we, you know, Ben for, I think as long as I've had the show, uh, an annual tradition, it has been, um, we've talked about the great smoke and last year, last year we, uh, made, made your first smoke. That was your first one last year, correct? Yeah, sure was my first one. Yep. Oh, you popped so, your cherry strong. Yeah, you That's your, right. Yeah. yeah. And it just happened to be Mardi Gras themed. Yeah. Which, which was like, I for mean, me how, perfectly. Yeah. The, the raging Cajun himself. Yeah, so um, I was really glad we had a we had a actually our whole team had an amazing time down there last, uh, and it was like we had most of the team down there, which was really good. Um, and it was kind of funny because we had our newest team member was with us too last year, uh, before he even joined the team. So it was kind of like uh, we, you know, we kind of got to hang with him, and uh, yeah, we're talking about Trip Waldrop here. But um, hey, without further ado, let me introduce uh, our special guest tonight. Um, because I'm really glad to have this guy. And by the way, this show is being brought commercial free tonight, so we're we're running this one commercial free. This was this was uh, my idea. Um, because I think this format, um, we do a lot of stuff on our big show, and 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 I think sometimes it. It goes long. I ain't gonna lie to you guys. It goes long, and and I think you guys have seen a lot of great smoke content, and everyone puts a different spin on it. But um, the man behind it, this whole thing, honest Abe DeBabna. Abe, welcome tonight. Thanks for having me, Coop. Did I speak out of turn? Was I supposed to be silent during that intro banter? Nah, you're your family here. I just realized we might have had an intro gone, but you know, normally we mute our guests so they can't accidentally do that. I could do that. I didn't. I chose not to. We were talking about technology. The technology actually does let me do this too. So, uh, so no, I know Abe. Uh, this is a really busy time of the year for you as well, uh, and we really do appreciate the time you're taking tonight to talk to us. Um, and so, so thank you on that because, like I said, I know no, man, firsthand. I see how busy you are. No, it's my pleasure, man. And honestly, I'm glad. I'm, I'm honored that you give me the chance to do it because there's always. So much new stuff going on, and it's uh, it's always good to get the word out. Yep, it, it, exactly, exactly. So, um, no, it's it's great to have you, and uh, you know, um, we'll put our spin on this. And uh, I know it's like, you know, you know, every year there's just a different spin with the Great Smoke. But you might have explained this before, and you might have even explained this to us before. But for maybe for some folks who haven't heard it, how did how did this concept come up with the Great Smoke? Um. I mean, it really, I mean, I didn't come up with it. I mean, I think I, the first multi-vendor event that I think I, I knew about was, you know, obviously the big smokes that, that were thrown by Cigar Aficionado. Um, and I remember going to them in a couple of different cities. And, you know, at one point, I, I can't tell you what the high number is, but I think at one point they had to be at least in almost eight to 10 cities at one point. Um 
maybe more. And then they started disappearing. And the year I threw the Great Smoke, the first one, I think at that point it was only in New York, Chicago, and Vegas. That was the last three frontiers of of where it was. And maybe even they stopped Chicago by that time. It was just New York and Vegas. But um, it was actually Eric Espinosa who came up to me and said, you know, about doing an event like this. And, you know, Eric and I scoured for almost a year uh, to look for a venue, which is a very hard, it's literally the hardest thing right? About these types of events is to find a welcoming venue. And it wasn't until over a year later, maybe a year later, uh, we had our, that year, our 10th anniversary celebration. We had a custom Harley made. Um, Acid Chester did some of the work on the bike. Um, and we had, I think, Oliva, Camacho, Rocky, and Perdomo were all involved in this Harley that we gave away. We had these custom 50 or 60 count boxes that were made. And every, every each one of those companies made a uh, special blend cigar for the box. And uh, we had probably 800 people jammed in the courtyard of our in front of our old West Palm Beach location. And uh, Mike Argenti, you recognize that name. Oh, that's a name from the past, yeah. Yes, he was there. And then we went out to, you know, have a few drinks and cocktails afterward. The event was, and he was just blown away. He could not shut up. He could not stop talking about it. And he said he'd never seen a retailer anywhere in the country that had an event of that size. And because we were giving away the Harley at the enemy, like the crowd never lightened. It just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until, you know, we gave the Harley away. And um, he's like, you know, where do you go from here? Like, I mean, seriously, like any event you do after this is going to be. And so it was the next morning. It was Saturday morning. I was going to the shop to have lunch with the guys and hang out. Usually Saturday afternoons, I would hang out mostly. And I'm looking around this courtyard and I'm, I'm seeing the 800 people that were there last night. I said, dude, we could do a multi-vendor cigar event right here in front of my store in this courtyard, wow. this fountain. And that's how it started. At this point, our 10th anniversary event, I think was November, early November. Wow. So my goal, which is a true story, my goal was to give myself a year. I, I was, I had no crew. We had no graphics people this time. I was doing all the graphics for my own company. I mean, you know. Right. I said, and I, I'll try to plan one for the November the following year. Right. So Camacho was involved at the event. So what did I say? Camacho, Rocky, Drew Estate, Oliva. It wasn't Perdomo. It was Camacho, Rocky, Drew Estate, Oliva. Because Sal was still alive then. Mm-hmm. And Sal and I were really close from Camacho. So Christian Aro was at the event. And on his way home, and somehow we were talking the next day, he because he went there because he, you know, he he likes to fly and he he, he was going there to fly out of somewhere or something or fly a plane. And he ran into Francois, who had just flown into Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Now, at that time, Thompson's had a multi-vendor event, which they had just thrown that October before my my thing. And it was at the Hard Rock, and I think Chris, no, Christian ran into him at the Hard Rock, something like that. Anyway, he had just flown in. So I started getting paranoid. I started saying he just had a big multi-vendor event at the Hard Rock in Tampa. He was coming to this coast to do a big multi-vendor. And I just felt if I wasn't the first guy in my area to do it, it would just be like, 
the wind was going to be, you know, the sails would have no wind at that point. Right. So instead of waiting a year, the first great smoke we ever did was conceived of in November, started working on it in November, and was thrown that February. Okay, so it was like four months later. Not even. November, three December, months. January. Yeah, I mean, three and a half months, three months. Literally, we put it all together. I'll never forget, the first tickets were duplicate NCR paper. You know? Right, 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 right. I mean, it was insane when I go back and think about how we did it in three months. And it was a big hit. And we did it one more year in the courtyard, and the courtyard couldn't take it anymore. And then we started slowly taking over more and more of the parking lot of the whole shopping center every year. And then we moved to the American German Club. Then we moved to the Agriplex building of the South Florida Fairgrounds. And now we're in the main expo of the South Florida Fairgrounds. I mean, it's just, it's been a hell of a ride. Yeah, yeah. It's actually one of the, I think my first one was one of those parking lot ones. I'm sorry, say it again? Uh, the first one I went to was a parking lot one. Yeah, yeah. It was in the back. It was in the back of the West Palm Beach store. Yeah, it was like that side parking lot. We took like literally like a quarter of that area, the whole like side shopping area. Yeah, yeah. And 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 we kept outgrowing that, needing more and more. I remember the first year, the first year when we did it in the parking lot, because, you know, we took a parking lot. People didn't know where to park. Right. Right? So people just started leaving their cars anywhere. They were blocking accesses everywhere. Public deliveries couldn't get through to the shopping center. I mean, <laughs> it was a mess the first year we did it in the parking lot. Um. But uh, yeah, I mean, we love where we're at now. It's our home, and I mean, they're they're great. They love our event. They support our event. They do everything they can to make our event awesome. Um, the the board members come down and enjoy the event. So, and I know we will. I mean, I think it's pretty much impossible to outgrow that venue. Um, so I think we're good as long as as long as yeah, you. You know, the the regime who's there now stays for a long time. We're good to go. Yep. Abe, early on, we're going to get into this event, but early on, you, I think you figured this out that you just couldn't make it about um, a ticket book with cigars. I mean, I know we're going to talk about the ticket book in a bit, but you couldn't just make it about a ticket book with cigars. You, when did you kind of come to that realization that it had to be something more than that? I mean, look, if you followed me at any point in my career, whether it was from the Anarchy release and bringing in a, a Zuzu truck and having everybody take sledgehammers to it, you know, to you know, the original Ming release with Drew Estate. I've just been always experience-driven. You know, I mean, you know, I, I think it's my culture. We like to be hosts, right. like hosting people. And, you know, whatever event I'm doing, I mean, don't get me wrong, we do our event as part of our business to make sales. But, you know, my deep philosophy is if you just give people a kick-ass time, the rest of the stuff all works itself out. Right. And it happens over time. So, I mean, the first the first two great smokes, I've said this many times, we lost money. The first two great smokes wasn't about making money. I think that's why a lot of people fail, because I know, because even locally, some people have tried. They fail when they try to replicate this, because you can't think short term. If you try to go cheap or you try to make sure you're profitable and something like this, it's not going to get there. So we made sure the first year this was amazing. And the second year was amazing. And third year was even better. And so we were, I don't, I think the third year was the year we like broke even, you know, but we ate it the first two years because it wasn't about making money those two years, about making a kick-ass experience that everybody was going to go home, tell people about, made sure more people come next year. And that philosophy is, is stood true. Abe, did KMA play a key role in this becoming like a national event? 
I mean, because that's when I first heard about it. It was like the first year you were doing KMA in that first year. And, and you guys broadcasted from the parking lot that day. And I just remember turning to someone I know in Charlotte, uh, Stace Berkland. I said, we have to go here next year. We have to be here next year. We have to get get down here. Because uh, we were hearing about it all uh, on KMA Radio. Did that platform, you think, help take that to a national level? You know, the person that's ever said that. I don't know if I could refute it. Um, you know, KMA was originally bought in because we were experiencing so many people getting there early. Nothing to do. Right. So, like, shit, right. man, we had to entertain these people for a couple hours for the event. And KMA was, like, from 10 to 12. And that's why we did it for a long time until it just, like, dude, there's no way I could be involved in a two-hour broadcast. In the two hours before the Great Smoke opening, yeah, and eventually we just stopped and we found other ways to entertain people. But um, that's a good question, Coop, because you know, early in my career, I never really realized the reach of KMA Talk Radio. It really wasn't until I started traveling the country, and this is before we had cameras, right? Before people, right? Were right. Never- it was still audio. It was still audio. Yes, it was just audio. I can't remember where I was. Oh, I remember where I was. I went up to watch a um, football game. Uh, Steve Bashotti, the owner of Ravens, is a good friend, customer of ours. He invited me up to a football game, and I went to go play some poker at a casino. There's a Harris Casino up there um, near Baltimore in Baltimore. And I sat at a poker table, position 10, right next to the dealer. You know, I'm watching quiet, playing a couple of hands, and I don't know. I end up breaking into a conversation with somebody talking. I saw my guy, the dealer turns to me and goes, Are you honest, Abe? And I'm like, Yeah. He's like, dude, I recognize that voice. And I mean, and I think when that kind of started happening, I kind of realized that there were a lot of people listening to KMA talk radio. So no one's ever said that, but when I look back at it now that you bought it up and I'm thinking of all the times I've traveled the country and ran into people who recognized me or had watched a show that I would never have thought of. Yeah, it, it could have been a, definitely a proponent of the growth and getting it out there. But we had an influx of people early on. And honestly, I kind of got to think Cigar Fest because a lot of our early people who came in out of town were people who couldn't get tickets for Cigar Fest. Cigar Fest, yeah. You know, one of the first time, look, so this was meant to be a local event. It was never designed that, hey, we're going to draw people from all over the country, all over the world, more or less, the country. And um, I got a call. I was working late one night, nine o'clock. I got a call and it was literally somebody calling, I think it was Boston, said, you know, hey, you know, I, I, you know, I I heard about your event. Can you tell me a little about it? So I started telling him all about it. He goes, yeah. Yeah, because you know, I tried to get Cigar Fest tickets, I couldn't get it, and then somebody else told me about your event, so I thought I'd call you up. So I'm telling this guy all this stuff on the phone, and then he says to me, so what else do you got going on? And I went, the event, that's it. And he's like, oh. I'm like, why? And he just said, and he made a lot of sense to me. He's like, look, I mean, we're flying down. Right, right, right. Home, and this thing's over in four hours. And, and literally, and he, and he came down to the event, and I saw him, and I told him, I will have more stuff for you next year. And because he said he was coming back, he had such right. a great. He's like, "You're right, this was amazing." And the next year is the first year we ever started doing the after party, so that was probably year three. Mm-hmm. Year three, maybe it was the first year we did the after party. And you know, fifteen years after that, I don't know what how many events now we got tied in. Now it's four days with probably half a, do- a dozen events or so over the course of four days, and so it's it's pretty insane now. 
the, you know, you, the whole thing with the KMA thing, I also, I can remember the moment that I said, I have to come down there. You had a guy who uh, you brought in, I think his name was Jack, who would help do the show that day. It, I can't remember his name, but it was another guy you had doing the broadcast it, because you were busy. That did the KMA broadcast? Yeah. There was okay, some... so it wasn't it wasn't uh, Brandon the Mick who maybe it was, was Brandon the Mick maybe it was yeah Brandon he, the... yeah he was like the, okay yeah it, KMA first hosts were me Lady M and, and the yeah. Mick he was describing you on a Segway like he was just the way he was describing you like zoom, zooming all around the, the parking lot on a Segway I said I gotta see this like I gotta see this in person because you're right we didn't have video back then it was well, you didn't have video it was it was all audio but the way it was being described I said this is this is kind of got to be insane. You know, so uh, and you what you did have a segue. I remember, I've seen you on the segue down there. It's really I, I want to address something because I see this often. Bobby Hirschman, mm -hmm. Bobby, I don't accept any friend requests. I probably have three thousand friend requests on Facebook, and I, unless I know somebody or they tell me they did it, I and then I go look it up. I, I just don't because there's a lot of you know I got my family and my kids on there, and there's a lot of people I just don't know. So. I don't even look at my friend request. So don't take it personal. Literally, yeah. I literally probably got 3,000 of them in the queue. Um, I think that Segway story was the moment Matt Booth came up with the name Big Delicious. I think he was watching it as I was zooming around. And right. He was like, ah, look at Big Delicious. Uh, yes. By there. It was because the year after my first Great Smoke was the Big Delicious launch. And I went in, I came in for yeah. the party that night. That's where I met Eric from Dojo was at, the, was at that party that night. Yeah. So it's all, so, it's all, yeah, the parts are all going together with that. Yeah. Yeah. I used to get to get a segue early on because, you know, we had the retail store. Yeah. This was off the parking lot and there was so much running back and forth. I think like after the first year, like I almost died. So like we ended up renting segues to try to get around and, you know, this, the week of setting up. Yeah. I mean, if people don't never seen the back of that West Palm Beach store back then, it, it, it's a, it was a massive lot. There was no question about it. So, yeah, definitely. So, I mean, yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think, you know, it was like I said, I know it kind of got me to go down there and, and I was very excited about that. But, you know, the event evolves, as you mentioned. And in the last few years, you've you've been doing the themes on the event. We'll talk about this theme in a little bit. But how did the theme thing come about? When did you decide, hey, because I think the disco one was the first one that, that was done. That 70s. Yeah, was, 70s disco. Yeah. With yes. a, yeah. So this was actually an amazing story because. There's certain things that really catapult something and elevate something. And this was, without a doubt, a key element in the history of the Great Smoke that elevated it and, cat and just really catapulted it to a whole new yeah. thing. You know, there's one thing we always try to do is try to keep it fresh. You can't come to the same event every year. I mean, it's great to see people and whatever, but people get bored. You know, I mean, just people get bored. So... We always tried to incorporate in a very sophomoric and fundamental way something new, whether it would be the bull riding, the dunk tank, the money machine, you know. But it was a very just kind of like drape over experience change, you know. So when our graphic team was, would always pick a theme, they would do all the background printing. So the background for the ads, the background for the lanyards, the background for printed material. And then sometimes it'd be elemental and sometimes it'd be metals and sometimes it'd be fire. So I think that year, one of our graphic designers came in and shows me an ad that he was taking a full page ad. And I looked at it. I'm like, Oh, disco globe. I like the disco globe. Right. What's with the disco globe? And he looks at me and goes, 
no, that's a nebula, bro. It's like we're doing stars and stuff. As I see him, I'm like, oh, it looks like every is it me or does it look like a disco globe? And that's really how I said, dude, that's what we gotta do. We gotta like disco, we're gonna make a 70s great smoke. And that was the first year. We said, let's do something. And, and we had the Club 54 band and yeah. you know, people dressed in 70s gear. We had the Fair Fawcett and Tina Turner cutouts all over the place. And, you know, it, it was still a very basic upgrade because it was our first year doing it. You know, we didn't, you know, we're still figuring stuff out, but it was cool. And it elevated the feel of the event. And we knew that we were going to come back the following year and do the last luau. I'm not even sure we had a name at that point. I just said, you know, the, I had like some slang at the end video of the great smoke. I said, you know, next year we'll come back with the power of the poi and right. whatever. And then COVID hit. Right. So pushed it out. Yeah. And then we really went next level. I mean, if anything, I think really bought us to, a, you know, got it really out there was a digital experience. It was a time where a lot of people were hurting a lot of people were home. They were missing the camaraderie, getting out, feeling part of something bigger. And um, without even really knowing what we were doing, so many people bought into the digital experience. And then we delivered with a really unbelievable, like historic, almost eight hour broadcast. And I think that's when the Great Smoke took another turn after the digital experience and then we came back with the last luau mardi gras madness where we popped ben's cherry yep. and uh you know the year of the dragon this year yep yep did you know that digital experience i mean it's, it's well documented right did you lose money you had to lose money on that right you, you could have made money on that did you lose money on that no we didn't you, you didn't okay no, because it, it, so it was very, very expensive it was, yeah Okay, it was very expensive, but you know how expensive it is to rent out the fairgrounds for four days. And we lost all that. Right. We didn't have to rent out the facility. We didn't have the extensive labor that we have to do a you know two thousand plus in person event. So it really wasn't. It really wasn't. Uh, I, I think it might have been financially even better for us, really, to be honest with mm -hmm. you. Um, there were, I mean, don't get me wrong. If I told you what the production cost was that year, you'd choke. Right. But it was still proportionate to what we would have spent. And then on top of that, because I knew people wouldn't understand what we were trying to do. I mean, how do you ex explain a seven and a half hour cigar telethon that nobody never seen it? That's going to be done in like real time, like Hollywood production almost, you know? So I had reached out to a lot of the cigar manufacturers and, Carlito Fuente, Pete Johnson, Nick Perdomo, Terrence Riley, Steve Saka. Um, who am I missing? Shit. Rocky Patel. No. We had all of them make limited releases because I was trying to create some kind of excitement for those who may not understand what I was trying to do with the digital experience. So on top of whatever normal sales we had, we had all these limited runs, six of them in one event. I mean, I look back and I said, what am I, crazy? We had six limited no. things that dropped in one one seven hour broadcast, and they all sold out in ten minutes. And they, and and not only did they sell out, they broke your site every time they sold out. Every time. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, it was really insane looking back. I mean, I've done some things in my career that I look back on and I said, I really must have been nuts. I really right. must have been nuts. But it worked out. Um, and then we and then we got inundated. 
then we got inundated with emails that people said, look, man, this was such a beautiful thing. It was the first time ever in my life that I was able to be part of like a multi-vendor event because I can't take off of work, can't afford to fly down and get a hotel room. Please don't stop doing it. So once again, to beat myself over the head, I said, can we do this live and virtual at the same time as if doing it one way wasn't hard enough? Right. And um, we allocated, I can't remember the number, I think it was maybe 500, 600 virtual tickets because we, you know, we knew people wanted to come back out, right? People were really itching to come back live because as good as, as good as we try to make the virtual experience, it's like anything else. Nothing's like being there live, the energy. Sure, the exactly. Atmosphere. So we couldn't believe how fast the virtual tickets sold out because, you know, we only have so many packages. So I have to allocate some for virtual, allocate the rest for live. We couldn't believe how fast they sold out. And then we ran into a pickle because we had these limited releases that you needed a ticket to get to. And some of the people didn't have a chance to get to the virtual tickets and they weren't going to be able to come live. So they got excluded from all that. So I think I ended up slicing a hundred and then I think maybe another 50 from the live tickets and shuffled them over to virtual that year. Right. And then the next year it was really a few hundred people. We had a really steep decline in the virtual tickets. And I think it's because more and more people got comfortable with coming out. Right. And I think the virtual people maybe said, well, let's, Let's kind of go see it now. The ones that saw it liked it so much, they ended up coming physically. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and and that's where we're at today because the virtual production now, which I'm going to tell you, believe it or not, costs way more than when we did, when we did it. Oh, before. I believe it. I believe it. Yeah. Even though we have no like big sets and shit, it's just a bigger thing. More people involved, more equipment involved. You had rafters, lighting, hoists. You know, it, it's you know, it's a LCD wall. It's, it's a lot, so it really costs a lot more, and that expense is covered by the virtual ticket sales. So as long as the virtual ticket sales cover the expense of that side of the production, we'll keep doing it. If it ever drops to the point where it's not really covering the expense of the virtual production, we may stop doing it. And then it's just it's just about economics at that point. Yeah, I don't no, think we'll it, ever get any less. I mean, because that's something. When we everybody went through the COVID, we all be hurt and all that. That was kind of a commonplace thing. We all kind of get together virtually like this. So I think, if anything, it would grow. I think it would grow so, more. So here's what happens, Ben. Everybody did it the first year. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of those people did it again the second year. But then a lot of those people started coming alive. And the word of the virtual is not doesn't spread as much as the live, you know? So... Is it making more people come to the event? Yeah, but I think, you know, to try to explain, there's an education in the selling of the virtual ticket. To try to explain to somebody who doesn't know about the Great Smoke, our experience and what they're, I mean, look, I kind of have this joke. If I put up the package online, as, as, it had nothing to do with the Great Smoke. No ticket, nothing. Here's this box, you get all this swag, it's about $400 worth, they're $175. I'd probably sell more of those boxes than I do virtual tickets. But because it gets lost in the, the translation of, because I mean, it's hard to translate. Is this an event? Am I making a purchase? Because 
the box alone is worth the ticket price by far. And for the majority of cigar smokers who aren't really like, I only smoke three brands and that's all I'm ever going to smoke the rest of my life. So, I mean, it's such an immense value that the ticket, the virtual ticket alone, whether you watch a show or not is a value just from a retail standpoint. Like I, I really believe that if we didn't brand it as a TGS thing and just made this package, put it up on my website, I'd probably sell five times more. But when you say it's a part of your ticket, now people feel compelled. Oh, I got to be involved in something for dollars and I get that. There's a whole different weird psychology of it. So it needs a real education that, hey, look, my thing is, and maybe this is something I'll work on more next year because it takes a little bit of campaigning and, 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 and really putting out information. But we did it the first year and kind of did it the second year and then kind of forgot is to drive people who cannot make it to throw their own watch parties. I mean, if, I was if just going to mention that. Yeah. If I'm in some part of the country and I'm doing this, I'm not watching this alone. I'm getting five, six of my buddies. Hopefully we each get a set. I'll put, put up, go in my man cave and we're all going to have a great time watching it. So I think that may be a good way to grow because just like the main event, it's always word of mouth, but instead of a guy watching it himself, Go get five or six of your cigar buddies. Everybody's got five, six, ten cigar buddies. Throw a watch party. And I think maybe that's something we'll work on next year. Maybe we'll do a, we did it with um, Feed the Party one year. Maybe we'll do some kind of a watch party contest or something to help drive that. But yeah, I mean, sales, virtual sales have gone down every year since after the first year of the Great Smoke. This year, virtual tickets are up to date but I'm only a little over two weeks away from the great smoke. We had a, almost a whole other month last year. So I don't know if we're going to make last year's number, to be honest with you on the virtual side. Right. This could be the first year in the history of the great smoke. We may not have tickets available at the door. So it's, it's just, it's transposing over to live more and more that that's just what I think is happening. Yeah. You know, this event always has had a sense of community, though, Abe. I mean, one thing when I went down after my first one and then went to several ones after is, you know, people would not only – people made friends. The friends would kind of use this event to kind of get back together. And I, and I it was very – it was one of the more – the social aspect of that event was, was just amazing. And then even when you did the – the big virtual event, like the the solo one, there were people like kind of some of those people I know were getting together, and whether they were watching it and just like doing instant messaging or texting, you know, it, this I think this event has done a great job at the social interaction. I think smoking social certainly has helped that even more now, because now 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 you have a, a community all year round. There's a lot of ingredients to go into making a, di- a good dish, a great dish. And right, like, smoking social is definitely one of those right. ingredients. Um. Look, I've always, listen, Bruce Stark tags me every podcast or post, and he says, it's about the experience. It's not just about the cigar, like Abe DeBabna says. He tags me every time, but that's really, for us, what it yeah. comes to, right? right? And you know deep down when the consumers, when the fans come who are attending the event, when they nickname it and dub it the family reunion, yeah. that you've created something that's right and special. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like the biggest compliment we could get about this event. Yeah. I mean, I could tell you, I met, uh, I met Eric Gutmerson. I met Eric Espinosa at this event. Uh, just a lot of different people I've met uh, over the years at this event. So 
you know, and I know other people have had that same experience. So I think, I think it's, I think it's, like I said, it's kind of a little bit of your secret sauce with this event. Um, and I'm not knocking any of the other events, but this one, absolutely. Uh, I haven't been to Rocky mountain, so I can't comment on that one, but I think it's absolutely your secret sauce. Thank yeah. You. I do. That was something I remember too. Last year when we went was, you know, we got to kind of early, we were all kind of hanging out outside and it was a, it was a cool little mix of, there's a lot of people that we, we know, you know, online, right. And through social media that yep. we might not meet face to face that we ended up meeting there, you know, at the event, we could say it or people that constantly comment, you know, on our videos or written reviews or, or yeah. they're, they're in the, the, in the chat while we're, we do the broadcast and we get to see them finally, you know, or really what was really cool was, just interacting with random people that you don't know, never yeah. met while we're standing in line outside and we're all just laughing up, talking, smoking cigars, talking about cigars and having a great time before we even get into the event. Yeah. It was really cool. That part of it was something that really stuck in my memory about the whole event. Yeah. And, and, and you've actually now incorporated a tailgate party. I think that maybe kind of as a result of some of those like, outside the venue things that's happened over the years. Two, two years ago, some yeah. somebody was sitting out there the day before the event while we were setting up. And I said, what is Because, you know, it's a big venue. Yeah. When there's nothing going on, man, the parking lot's like a desert. Right. I mean, flat as long. Yeah. There's like one car parked out there, two people sitting in lawn chairs, drinking beer, smoking cigarettes. Like, these guys are not tailgating. No way. Yeah. And I walked out and I went on Facebook Live. And, then and I said, <laughs> I said, you know, you just, you just started the tailgate party for the Great Smoke. And sure enough, I wasn't planning on throwing one. I had enough to do. Right. But, you know, Mitch Rockwell from the Distinguished Ruffians reached out to me. Hey, I'd love to throw a tailgate party. And now you have it. We're, we're to second year of the tailgate party, squeezing another event this year with Elijah Craig, you know, flight tasting. So, I mean, honestly, just when I think we cannot pack any more shit without making it another day, it keeps happening. Yeah, no, I I agree. I think it's um yeah, I like I said, I I it was something that we experienced outside um uh and it was like I said, we it was it was kind of like uh, we didn't and oh, the other thing I got to just say, Abe, if anyone has an event with lines, then you need to like start a consulting service on how to get people to eliminate lines cuz no lines. I mean, there's no lines at a, there's no lines at a great smoke to get in. I love it. it it's it's a big, you know, that's not like, oh, hey, we just did it right the first time. Right. There were a lot of years of fucking up and learning from mistakes. And honestly, I know you feel that way, but I think last year was the best year we ever had. And it was really, I think we, you know, we're doing it, it again this year, but it, I think we've kind of fine-tuned the process it, with it outside that gated area and the setup. And, and I, I, I think last year, we after 18 years, because here's what happened. You keep trying to make it better. And every better you make it is it ends up sometimes being yeah. a colossal fuck up. Yeah. And then you got to figure out how it is. So, you know, tickets were a problem. Every year people lost tickets. They flew down. They left their ticket at home. And, like, you know, everybody thinks like, I know everybody. I don't know who's a scammer and who's real. We've had scammers every year. We've caught them. You know, there's scammers everywhere. You know, you don't like to believe it, but it's the fact. And, you know, if you lost your concert ticket, you lost your Super Bowl ticket, and you show up at the stadium. Yeah. Tough shit. Yeah, no, and it's you know, true. It was always hard for me to say tough shit to people. And it was just, this became a struggle every year. Yeah. And we went digital. Finally, look, it's on your phone. Can't forget your ticket because you ain't forgetting your cell phone and whatnot. 
And that first year went digital was a colossal fuck up. It um, the scanners weren't scanning the barcodes outside. I remember that. Yeah, you right. Um, yeah, I remember that. And I'll never forget. Uh, I'll never forget. I was somebody addressed this to me, the lines and everything. And I went out and it was coming to one o'clock and VIP people still weren't in. And I could see the lines in the fairgrounds parking lot as far as I can go. I said, at this rate, this event's going to be over. And some of these people may not make it in. And I called up our operations guy. I said, how many bodies do you have around you who aren't doing anything? Well, I can get you about four guys. Send them all. Send them <laughs> all. So we had this check-in line here. And we had this check-in line here. And I just made a mock checkup line in the middle of the two of them. I had these guys go get me all the stuff they were handing out. And we just made a third line and we didn't scan nobody. You know, sometimes you just got to give up shit to get it done. You know, all you had to do was put your ticket out. You know, because these people could have taken their ticket, went back in the other line, got another yeah. pack. I didn't care. Get your ticket out, get your phone out. And we just, and just started handing people shit, handing people shit. It took us about 15, 20 minutes, but we cleared everybody in there. Everybody wow. in there. So, yeah, it's not always been peachy keen. I mean, you may have not always seen it or realized it or may have, you may have solved it, but it's been a long ride to really kind of fine tune. But that's, that's also an attribute to the team because it's literally what we do the Monday morning every year after the Great Smoke. We sit, first we send the survey out to everybody. We'll sit, we'll talk about the ups and downs, what worked great, what needs to be improved, what we could do better, what ideas we came up with. And it's a process every year. And I think that's why... I could confidently say without being arrogant or, you know, egotistical that the event keeps getting better every year. And that's hard to do after 18 years. But Coop, you're coming this year. You tell me if it's better than last year. Right. You let me know because I know you'll tell me straight. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's, I'll tell you straight. I mean, I think I've told you what worked and what didn't work for, for the most part. I haven't found a lot that hasn't worked. Um, so I think, you know, I think you, uh, you've done very, very well with that. Now, one big change you made this year, Abe. Um, and this was one I, I, I had, I had mixed feelings on this one, right? But I, you know, I've, you know, in terms of the tickets, you got rid of the ticket books. Now, you, you for many years, were steadfast that you liked the ticket books. And and I kind of agreed with that because, you know, it, it kind of gave the interaction piece. But this year you did get rid of them. And what went into finally making that decision there? So the ticket books are twofold. Okay. There's always a big picture that sometimes consumers really don't stop to think about. But right. as a guy who put in the event, you have to think about it, right? This event is not an event unless I have 32 cigar companies are willing to participate. And don't kid you, each one of those companies puts in a lot of time and effort. Not as much, some of them not as much as I like, <laughs> but they put in a lot of time, effort, and resources to come to the Great Smoke, to put up the event cigars, which we pay for, but we pay right. And now, you know, not a normal price. Um, that's why the package is so 
you know, re, you know, economical. Um, and in labor, and it's a Saturday. I mean, it's just a whole bunch of shit going on. And at the end of the day, I mean, yeah, they get exposure. Yeah, they get branding. But what do you think their real hopes are at the end of the day? They're yeah, out- I two freeze. Okay. Yeah, no. I think they're, you know, obviously looking to have, you know, get some brand expansion. You know, maybe get some new customers, you know. Yeah, they want to make sales. Yeah. Really, they want to make sales. Right. You know, I literally had to talk, like, too many manufacturers out, out of doing it. Because we like to make room for new people. Like, this is how many boxes you sold. I- I'm telling you. Do you think it was economical and worth your time and effort in coming down here? Because they want to be involved, but they're not. Some of them don't stop to look at the economics of it. Right, it doesn't make sense. They're not selling any boxes at the event. They want to do it for the fun, and I'd rather give. I think this year we got like four new companies. I'd rather give some new blood a chance. You know, to see if you know works for them. So, the nice thing about the ticket books. So, you remember when the Great Smoke was in two separate buildings? Yes. Okay. For a couple of years, early on, when we were at the German club before the fairgrounds at the Agripex, uh-huh. we, two years, we pre-packed the VIP bags. Right. And what we realized and saw that those VIP people never got up from their table. They went there. They, they said just, there yeah. was no reason to go out. Now, right. granted, there wasn't as much as going on like we do now, but... Right. They had everything they needed. So the ticket book really guaranteed the manufacturer that at least every single person was going to come and interact with you and talk to you and see you. That's what was the ticket book. And that's why I was very, very hesitant to get rid of it. And, um, you know, this is an idea we just thought up last year. We've been playing with this idea for about four or five years. Okay. Just been afraid to make the leap. We don't know how it's going to work out. After moving into the single building layout like we have now, where it's not a disconnected area where the cigar vendors are here, but all the fun and the action's happening over here. Right, right. We think that might not be as impactful. Plus, we have some good activations going on now where the pit used to be right by the where the manufacturer are. So I think they'll still get the exposure. People will still want to go back there and see you know the manufacturers and visit their tables and um and the other logistic thing is if you look if you pre-pack if you pre-pack everybody's cigars what's the manufacturer's going to do they sit behind a table waiting for people to come up and talk to them you know i mean yeah yeah, yeah, no, yeah. but you know it's just like there's no it's like there's some interaction loss so with us pre-packing and removing our sales center and, and honestly, this idea is, you mentioned earlier, from Rocky Mountain Cigar Festival. Manufacturers right. have been telling this about for years. Um, the the sales centers now are going to be 32 different sales centers where every manufacturer is. They're going to sell directly at their booths. So you can go interact with them. If you want to buy from them, you can buy them right there. If the prince, there's no more going to a pit, going back to the booth to try to get your swag during the right. line of people, you know, getting somebody to sign your box of cigars. Going, you now it's all, it yeah, I, I, I like that. You can buy it right from the table. Manufacturer can autograph it, sign for you. You can get all your swag and walk away complete. So half the manufacturers love this setup. Half the manufacturers don't care for it. I'll tell you what, logistically, it's been a nightmare for us because, you know, they all have to have their own sales terminals. They had to be organized and tell us what they were bringing so we can input it into the sales terminal, which they have. And they're all, you know, half of them are late and half of them haven't figured out what they're So 
you know, I'm 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 sending out TGS forms like May, no, maybe even April, demanding deadlines like in July, and they might get it done by the end of the year. <laughs> if the I can see, you know, this one, you know, also I'll say one thing I uh, I noticed about the ticket book, what I thought was kind of interesting was, well, actually we were going through the line. It was it was Aaron Tripp and myself, but we were going through the line, and. There was a group of guys in front of us. There's probably maybe four or five of them. And we got close to the My Father table. I believe it was the My Father table. Yeah, it was. And a guy was like, said something about this. One of the guys said, oh, I've, I've never heard of My Father. Well, I like those cigars. You know, can you tell me a little more about them? And the guy was like, oh, yeah, these are great small favorites. But let the guy, let them tell you, ask yeah. them, ask them your questions. That dude would have never done that if he didn't have the ticket book, you know. No. He would probably he would have gone up there, you know. Well, you know, that's the other thing. The real socialization doesn't happen till like three o'clock. Yes. You know, three thirty after the stampede have gotten all their tickets, right? Then that's the real like I can go talk to somebody and people are breathing because then it's just people trickling in. But people start going in line backwards. I mean, it's been somewhat of a mess every year. And you know. The proof is in the pudding. You know, I was actually talking with Mike Herklotz about it. And I can't remember which way he sided because I, mean, I, I spent more time thinking about it than he did. But he definitely leaned one way and said, this is the best way to do it. But then I started listing the pros and cons for each. Right. And he went back and he went, yeah, I guess I could see it going both ways. So there's no way to really tell without trying it, you know. So we're just going to try it, see how it happens, you know. What's the worst yeah. thing that could happen? I mean, we just give it a shot. I, I agree. I mean, the, other, the other thing was kind of eye-opening about the whole incident, too, was like I realized I just started paying attention to who was in the line, right? And just random people and kind of overhearing them talk and stuff. There was actually a lot of people there that I probably wouldn't consider them like cigar smokers like we are. They were buddies of cigar smokers that came on because they heard it was a great time. Yeah, yeah, we saw a lot of that. We saw a lot. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 unique. Not, you know, you don't you won't go to a normal cigar event and really see that, right? So that, I thought that was pretty interesting to see. There was a lot of that going on too. Listen, Steve Sock is probably the most well-known curmudgeon in this industry. All right, and I'll never forget because he said it publicly, and I think it was the last Luau year, the first year we moved into Expo. Yes, yes. I remember he this said, comment. He put it out there in public. The Great Smoke is the best event in the country by leaps and bounds. And, you know, and, you know, most people don't realize when a guy says something like that, he's got other retailers he's doing events for. Yes. Now, I was a little shocked he made that kind of statement because I'm going to tell you something. I've heard him poo-poo my event many, many times, too. You know? Yeah, So, you know, I love him, but you know, I mean, when he said that, honestly, that was that was a milestone for me on a personal level, just to hear that. I mean, we are friends. Part of the reason why we are friends is we're always, like, straight up, like, no bullshit with each other. You know, if he's mad at me, he'll say it. If I'm mad at him, I can call him, and we say it. And it's a great relationship. It's a true friendship we have. But when he said that, man, it was um, – it moved me. I'm almost getting goosebumps talking about it now. Because, you know, that's not a I'm fluffing, I'm – you know, Eric, that's like, you know, this guy doesn't say nice shit about a lot of shit. So when he said that, I, I, I for me, the great smoke arrived, you know, so 
Um, that was big for us. That really was. And um, like I said, you know, I'm excited about this year. We're already like halfway into working for 2025. Literally, we already have swag being made. I mean, you know, the amount of time you, you think you get it more down pat, but the amount of time we will send, spend now prepping has no, got nothing but longer now. I have to reserve it. I already have the 2025 date locked in. We've had it locked in for the last six months because now we're in a bigger expo hall that more people fight over. So it's like, as the years go by, the time we have to spend working on it grows, oddly well, enough. Yeah. It doesn't drink. It's true. It's true. You know, um, Abe, the one thing, I mean, we didn't even get into this part yet, um, the packaging. So this is the, this is the box you get. Um, I guess it's, it used to be called the party in a box. Now I guess it's, the first year we did a digital experience, we dubbed it Party in the Box. Party in the Box, yeah. And that was just kind of a, a thing that we called it because we wanted to let people know, hey, you're going right. to get this party. That It was the first year we gave away shirts and hats for free because we wanted this digital experience to kind of resonate with people because they didn't know what the hell we were doing. So, you know, I mean, look, if we're going to give everybody their cigars up front, do I really want to hand them just a plastic bag? Right. You know? Do I really want to hand them a Ziploc bag of 20 cigars? That's what about 98% of any other retailer would do. Right. So um, I've kind of had fun with packaging last few years and projects. I mean, I actually awesome. worked on some cool stuff with Steve um, and kind of having fun doing this. This was a, a great project for us. You you actually just answered the question I was going to ask you. You seem like you're, you're, you're really getting into this. I mean, is this you, Abe? I mean, is do you like sit down here and say, I need a box that's going to have like three slide out drawers and it's going to fit the swag on top. Is that like what you were thinking when you did this? So typically these ideas will start. Right. Where my idea is way more rudimentary. Right. <laughs> Not as polished, literally. And then, and then two or three iterations, we clean it up. I mean, look, when we got the demo, we, we realized the outside cardboard was way too soft. You know, I put another two weeks in our die line because we, we had to make it a hard cardboard. And, you know, here's a perfect example of, you know, already a change I have to make next year. So, one, when we started, so as we're lining up all the cigars, I'm looking at these, some of these long cigars. I'm like, is this too long for the box? I'm pretty sure I said it's got to be. And then I put it up to the top of the box. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to fit in here fine. Well, when we started packing them, I didn't realize there was one inch of foam at the top and the bottom. Right. Of the so we actually had to cut out a little section for three cigars that were too big to fit in there, you know, uh -huh. slow down a little packing time there. But another major thing is, so you're looking at the prototype box, right? Right. The prototype box didn't have the ashtray, right. didn't have the drum, the cutter, the shot glass, the lighter. So if you look at these shelves, it's a very narrow strip that's holding the box above it. <laughs> so the boxes want to slide off and we lost a couple boxes because they crushed into each other ah. so yeah so a design i have to change next year is i have to thicken that to at least an eighth of an inch right if not a quarter inch all around so the box will actually have something to support the weight of the sh shelf above it so um like i said it ends up being very rudimentary and then you change it a couple times or then you finally make it and then you see oh shit We've got to change it again next year, you know, because it's the way it goes. It's the way you yeah. develop. But, you know, the difference is, is you got to be good enough to see the flaws and the improvements. 
so that you can continually improve on it. And this is another thing I guarantee this box will be better next year. Right. Right. I mean, um, you have become like I, you know, the, the packaging guru, absolutely at the retail level. I mean, I haven't seen anyone do packaging like like we've seen over the last few years. Uh, th this this just, I mean, this just looks really nice. It is uh, sexy. The the goat, a... the goat made a really. I'll tell you what, he made a video earlier when we had the prototype box and not all the finished parts. So yesterday evening, I delivered the first, right, the first finished box. They started packing everything yesterday. I think they started shipping today, if not tomorrow. You know, we were going to wait till closer to the Great Smoke, but I ain't going to lie. We're running out of room in the warehouse. We got to get this shit out of here. Um, so he made a great video last night, you know, really, you know, worthy right. of the moniker of the GOAT. And um, it really shows it off very, very well. You can see the cigars actually come in the pack, the, gen the uh, real cigars that will be in there and, um, a close up of all the commemorative stuff that's in the box. So, if you haven't had a chance to catch that video, I definitely go to the Great Smoke yeah. on Facebook. It's up there. Absolutely, absolutely. I would definitely. Uh, I saw, like I said, I did see it. So uh, we were talking about before the show in the green room. So yeah, that uh, it was really cool. I thought as far as that goes. Uh, you know, we we've talked a lot about the the cigars you get now. The exclusive cigars. Um, you've cut it down this year. So you have cut it down to three. Was was that by design? Was it too many? You think you had what made it go? Yeah, to absolutely three? too many. You know, I mean, look. So I think one of the biggest things why people fail sometimes is they refuse to pivot when you need to pivot. Right. Right. So you come off the digital experience never having an event cigar. You put up six, right. and they sell out in ten minutes each. So you're like. Holy shit. So I think the very next year we did five. Right. And I think we did five, two years. Yeah. Two years in a row. Right. We did five. And then it's asking a lot for people. Listen, forget about asking a lot for people. It's asking even a lot for the manufacturers. All right. You know, you know, I know Steve has made a, a limited release every year since we started doing this. I'm sure he's thrilled about doing it. Not, but you know, it's, it's asking, it's asking a lot of people. So, I think three is a solid number. It spaces out enough for about a good six weeks before the event to kind of have a little gearing up, make something special. I could be more selective of who I ask. Yeah. Who I, I love the people. Listen, I love, I, I will work with Steve Sock on the great smoke every year that he wants to do it. So if we ever don't do it one year with Steve Sock, you know, it's because of Steve Sock. It's not because right. of the group in. but I really had a great time working with JC Newman this year and work with Drew Newman. Um, and they produced a cigar that I was extremely happy with. I mean, not, I wasn't like a brick house. Wasn't something that was in my total rotation, regular rotation. It's a decent cigar. We sell a lot of brick house in the stores, but this dragon's breath really came out great. And I've been smoking them. And once again, we've had a long standing relationship with Drew Estate, many projects over the years, but, but to bring back the name Ming in the third iteration of, yeah. you know, Ming, we had the original, and then we had the one that, you know, Steve Saka got involved in, the Dynasty that came out. I mean, that's how far back my relationship with Steve goes, prior to that even. And um, to see it again on an Undercrown 10 was kind of cool for me. So this, this, I was extremely elated with all the TGS limited releases. Only one of them is sold out. The other two are still available. Um, if there's any available at the time of the event, they'll be there. But I'll tell you what, I, I, my gut feeling tells me we may not have Ming left by the time the event comes around. Oh, really? 
It's the, been selling uh, every day. And, you know, it, it's, you know, it, Underground 10 has been already popular and Ming's already had a fan base for a while. So, yeah, I, I think we're, we're going to, we'll probably, we may run out of that before the Great Smoke. Yeah. And, you know, um, obviously, Steve and Drew Estate, you've been partners with for a while. Newman's not known to do this. This is kind of a little bit of a, you know, I, I don't see them normally doing events cigar like this. You know, there are certain people, you know, who aren't really into this concept of kind of stuff. And we've been blessed to make projects like this with some of the hardest ones. You know, we've yeah. had a couple projects with Padron. We've had a couple projects with Fuente. Um, but I think after now... 2010 14 years we've developed a really good reputation of making these exclusive whether it's a micro blend series whether it's the tgs release whether it was you know orlando padron's 89th birthday cigar which didn't fall under a micro blend or you know you know what i'm saying right um, and so i i think at this point they've heard of it they know it they know our project so they're less because you know they're you know especially these legendary families they're always afraid to go out of the box you know this perimeter that they've created around themselves but we've been fortunate enough we've been fortunate enough to really work with almost everybody in the industry um there's just one company i've been wanting to do a project with forever uh we've agreed to do it two years ago and it still hasn't come to fruition we'll see this may be the year you never know you never know uh, yeah. Ever know? Yeah, yeah. What? So you know, you have um. Okay, this year sent you. You had two spots. Okay, for you decided to do three, and Sock has got that one spot. What's the decision making as far as who you pick? Because a lot of times, I know with these cigars, you're not involved with the collaborative process in terms. No, of that's blending. why we don't call it a micro blend series. Right, right, yeah. You know, it's a micro blend series. Um we're involved in the process for the most part. Um, it, it, with Padron, when we did it, we were just happy to do something with Padron, but at least they gave us a size they had never made before, ever. You know, so that was big for us with Padron. But for the most part, we're involved in selecting a blend, you know. Right. We're involved in the process. So um, we kind of don't have time to, for that back and forth. Right, That's right. A, with the, a yeah. long back and forth process people don't realize. Yeah. So we sometimes we'll have a conversation of Vitola, what we're looking for right want like a feel of a blend or a size and we tell them the theme of the event and we you know we let them you know we're we're working with people that we have 1000 percent confidence in their ability to produce a cigar because they make quality product now when you say people make quality product doesn't mean like everything resonates with everybody you know what i mean there are soccer fans or fuente fans who don't like this line or this line but love this line so right the fact they're only making like 300 of these, we don't we don't have to find the huge spectrum that of where it'll fall in, you know. So it's a very small, small run that, you know, we know that, you know, they'll produce a quality enough product that 200, 300 people are going to be happy with what they get. Yeah, no, I uh, I think, like I said, I, they, there's been some bangers in there. There really have been some bangers and some surprise ones. Like I know there's a few of those blends, like, you know, Loaded up, they weren't the high profile ones, and and they really they really surprised you. One of the so, sleeper last year was Southern Draw. Southern Southern Draw, yeah. I don't think anybody expected that to be a, a big hit. And Aventura was the year before. Yeah, Aventura that Aventura one the year before was like, you know, that's that that caught everyone by surprise. I think. Yeah. Um, um, 
So, yeah, I think uh, – and, and then I thought last year also the Monte Cristo, I know that was the issue you had. Uh, they sent the wrong amount, but that turned out to be uh, an excellent cigar. Excellent cigar. Yeah. Excellent yeah. cigar. Yep, yep. But, again, you know, you, I'm you, I, I, post-COVID, Rafael Nodal has been a breath of life. He really has been. Yep. And um, working with him even on these kind of projects, because I, I don't know if they've ever done like – you know, they'll make you – you, the way the machine is, the production machine, for them to make something just to make 300 of doesn't work. They yeah. don't make store exclusives. They'll make something for JR or whatever, where they know, hey, they're going to order 600 boxes every quarter, and that's going to be their house brand of Monte Cristo. Yeah. But to say, hey, we're going to do 300 boxes, and that's it doesn't that their machine. Yeah, so that's, they, just, they don't do it. Yeah, it just goes to show you the testament of how Raphael's been committed to do more things outside the box. You know, when I told him we needed 300, he thought I meant 300 sticks, <laughs> which is 30 boxes. That's what he sent me. I literally told him, what universe would you think we would want 30 boxes? I would have told myself to get lost. And, um, you know, it was ending, ended up being, luckily, you know, it's hard to produce 300 sticks in a day. So they had to make some boxes and it took like another three or four weeks where people got delivered yeah. the but, you know, it was a great product. But it's just a testament to how willing he's become to really do things that aren't the norm for that organization. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree for sure with that. Um, it, it definitely is something that they go outside the norm. Uh, like I said, you don't see that. With, with Altidus, you just don't see that. No. Uh, so that was a very, very unique release. And that was, like I said, I've seen them do story, like you said, but it's this This was a true micro-release that they did. That's something that I have not seen from them. Yeah. And I think, between me, I think Raphael wanted to prove they can do it. I think there's, I think there's a part of him. I think, we, and that, I had conversations with him. That's why I think, yeah. I think that, and you know, he's really involved in our community, in the socialite group, in the social group. Yeah. So being part of the connoisseur club, I really think just blossomed. He was, he was into it. He was into yes. it. He got very into it. He got very into making these little crafty batches that only like four or five hundred people got to smoke right, and right. get feedback. I think that blossomed him a little bit. And, yeah. uh, you know, I think that's what kind of made the ask of, hey, I'd like 300 boxes <laughs> at one of our events. I think that's what made it more. I think that's what made it more tolerable for his psychology right. to think I met 300 and say yes. Yeah. Well, it was a little bit of uh, lem uh, lemons to lemonade because I, I, I pre-ordered one of those boxes and then uh, I was treated not just to the box when I came, but the Diamante. Yeah, everyone got a, one of the Diamantes before they shipped. Way so, before they shipped. Yeah, that, that's yeah. how you know he was like, "All right, anybody who orders, I'm going to throw in a very special cigar. It's not out yet." And the most expensive, one of the most expensive ones. Yeah, yeah, one of the most. Yeah, and it's. I mean, Ben and I have smoked those. We think they're great. Those cigars are. They did. He did a great job with those cigars. And so, I was like, I got be one of the first people to try it. I was like, that. That was a win-win. So you know, nice job by Raphael there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh. We're making progress. We're almost done. Um, no, I'm good. Okay. I'm so, so, At least yeah. I'm home. I'm not in the office. Yeah. No, I get it. Um, so, I guess we were talking about this earlier. It is a full weekend of events. And, and it kicks off Thursday night with the uh, the um, the kickoff. Well, we have actually the Agonorsa, Elijah Craig. I was going to say this too. Yeah. So, um, that was kind of a rough one for us because we really couldn't sell more than 40 tickets. Right. And it's mostly because of the rare allocated, some of the rare allocated product he's bringing with them. You're not getting more than two bottles for any event. So that was limited. 
the 40. That's why we did it the first thing, because not everybody comes in town. Yeah. By, by Thursday. So we said we started on and some people get in late Thursday. So we said, we'll make it early, you know, on Thursday. That sold out pretty quick. And then it rolls right into Black Label Trading Company with the kickoff event in Boynton Beach. First year ever at the Great Smoke. So very cool, cool for them. Um, then we roll into Friday. Henderson Ventura comes back to uh, entertain and host the Red Meat Lovers Club, the pre-event dinner yep. at the fairgrounds, which I'll know by Thursday. Um, it's going to be at the fairgrounds, but we think we're going to move the venue from where it traditionally was. Oh, already. really? The 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 Great Hall? I know it's like that. They got some big festival going around, and I don't think we're going to have. You know, listen to me. It was another one of those conversations of how we moved, ended up moving into the main yeah. exhibit hall. Except this time, I he says, "Look, I'd like to show you this other spot." Right, you know that we think. I'm like, why? Because well, we got this like big festival, and people are gonna be coming in and around, yep. drunk, loud. And I literally, my favorite expression with this kid is, "Are you asking me? Or are you telling me?" He goes, "No, no, this time I'm asking." You know, so he sent me videos. It's kind of cool, man. It's kind of trees covering out. It's like a little village they have there, and they got these like little like country lights swinging from the trees. So he showed me videos. He showed me pictures. So I'm heading out there Thursday night to just confirm the logistics because we gotta have a big setup for the team that cooks. And does everything, but I think this actually make make the venue even cooler. So um, uh, once we confirm Thursday after I get I see it physically, and I like it, we'll send out the email. It's it's literally same place. Do you, do you remember the Agriplex buildings where we used to have the Great Smoke? Yeah, yeah. If you go straight back, that's the gate that goes into the village. So I mean, it's like a hundred fifty yards away from where it was, just a yep. different part of the fairgrounds. Yep, yep. I I remember it well. I remember it well. Uh, yeah, that 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 uh, the red meat club thing's great. I love uh, yeah. I mean, that, you, you're not gonna go hungry at that. Um, that long and table. I love that long table though. That was two hundred feet long. It's insane. Two hundred feet. Uh, yeah, it's Ben. It's like this sink, long, long ass table. It is. Yeah. And at the same time, we got Amanda McAuliffe and Dan Thompson throwing a party. You know, it's really funny because Richie Richie Garcia is new on our team, and he came into my office and he was like, "Am I reading this right?" Are you doing the dinner and then having an event? I'm like, yeah. Yeah. He's like, why? I said, bro, there's only 200 people that can go to the event. We got about 800 people who's coming to town. What are they going to do? So, you know, they got somewhere they have to go. And then typically after the dinner, the majority of people head over to Boynton anyway. Yeah. So um, it's their first big event involved. And I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say anything, but I will say that there's, I, I got to find out this week or tomorrow, but there is going to be a special national drop of something special at this event that's not going to be out for a while yeah i was actually going to ask you if there are any because i know the last few years there's been some national drops too so yeah they're, they're bringing something special i think people are going to get excited about anybody who's a mccall fan and the great smoke friday night party i don't even think they're going to have it at the event it's exclusively for the party oh no the after party they, they have the they have the after party perdomo's got the other perdomo's party. on friday night yeah, yeah. cheese up here yeah, Nick Perdomo and team, you know, huge following. It's going to be a big event. Yeah. And, and you have the tailgate party. We have the main yeah. event Saturday, the after party with McAuliffe, and then we close it off with the Sunday brunch yep. with Drew State. So you, what's really interesting, Abe, with the, with the lineup that you put together here this year, you have like this, these brands have really passionate consumer bases. Don't underestimate the black label. There's a lot of black label fans out there. I don't. They have a great following. They, the following is, yeah, it, it may be quieter than some of the others, but uh, these are, like, it's kind of, 
interesting that they're all they're not just brands out there they just they have communities that are pretty strong and engaged as far as it goes those are the people who kind of get what we do the most i think it's one of the reasons why steve and i get along so well yeah um those are the people that we like to work with the most because they get it we don't have to explain stuff to them you know you know they're what the rationale they understand the culture more as far as i'm concerned it's just a lot easier to work with very hard to explain something to people who just don't get the culture so um, we love working with people like that. Yeah, no, I, I do too. Um, like I said, I've, I've gotten to know the McAuliffe team. They put on a really nice event out at their uh, location. You know, Drew Estate does their events. Perdomo does the the um, the factory tours, and Black Label's now doing factory tours as well. So, in fact, Matsi, one of our operations gals, just got back. He went from, down to the factory tour Perdomo. Oh uh, yeah, it's a. I can't tell you if you haven't gone. It's uh, it's a, it's a incredible tour. It's like going to graduate school. Um, Nick Tabernal is going to talk about seed agronomy for two hours, and Abe, you wouldn't even get bored from it. I'll just tell you that because I know some of this. No, no. I've been even... down there. It was many, many years ago, but I've been down there. Okay, yeah, no, it's really, really good. So, so yeah, definitely. When, said, when, yeah. when Nick Senior was still alive. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's a yeah. long time. Ago. Yeah. That's a long, that's a long time ago. So yeah, um, like I said, I think it's a uh, a great lineup you have for sure. I and Ben and I dropped by the pre party last year for Drew Estate. And we couldn't believe how crowded it was. That was, it was, it was, and this was like, we got, cause we rolled into town about 10 o'clock and uh, yeah, it was, it was packed. So uh, this is Thursday. A lot of people just, they need a place to go Thursday night. So uh, they put an event together. Yeah. I, I mean, wasn't even sure we'd be able to get in. <laughs> yeah. Like... I, I was shocked. We found a parking spot in the back. That was what was surprising. I never conceived of doing a store event around the great smoke, but it's one of the things. Look, you want to learn to do something good. Go, go watch people. Yeah. Tell people. I mean, literally, when I have an up and coming manufacturer or in the industry guy just going out, I'm like, "Who are you watching?" They're like, huh? Like, like, who are you watching? Who are you trying to learn from? Who are you seeing that's doing it right that you could learn from? And, and I love when they shoot out companies. Well, Drew Estate. I said, "Well, yeah. What are you going to do that could be like Drew? Look at the guy who's above you first, and then you, you eventually one day hope to look at what Drew Estate's doing and emulate that." But you know, I've traveled the country going to a lot of cigar events, and um, it really wasn't until I saw events at uh, Cigar Fest, and what's the one they used to do in Tampa? I mean, they might still do it. I just don't hear about it anymore. Oh, Heritage Festival. Tampa. No, Tampa Cigar Bash. The Tampa Cigar Bash, yep, yep. Right, and they had events. I'm like, really? I mean, you're already coming for this big shindig. Do you need and so? And, and that's how we did one event prior, and then it becomes two events. And it, you know, it, it just keeps growing. It, it's just insane. Yeah, yeah. But once again, to observe and adapt is the key. It's the key why our event, I think, honestly could say it gets better every year. No, I agree. I agree. I think uh, it's incredible. All right. I got four rapid fire questions because the fifth one you've already answered. And the fifth one was about <laughs> the fifth one is when the first planning meeting taking place with TGS 2025. And the answer is you already had it. So God man, we're already into it. Coop. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We so already, we're already ordering yeah, the already yeah. ordering the special collectible stuff already. I bet. I bet. So these are just random four random questions I have for you. And here's the and, and the first one's a hypothetical. So if you got a phone call, right? Uh saying, Hey, uh, Another city wanted you to put on a TGS event, Abe style. Hey, we want you to to bring TGS to our city. Would you do it? No, no. Even if even if the money was there. So there's a couple logistical. It's it's already uh -huh. happened, right? So I mean, I'm, this is not a hypothetical. This is a factual. 
Okay. Um, in the current state of affairs, it's not practical. Because for me to come and do an event in any other city would impose on a lot of local retailers. Yeah, yeah, I didn't take it that one, yeah. Believe me, every time someone tells me about it, it's the first thing I think of. And that will also cause, I've actually had some manufacturers tell me and say, oh, how was the other retailers? Hey, maybe you feel that way. Yeah, yeah. The other 30 won't feel that way. You know what I'm saying? So in the current state, it's just not possible or practical. Now, I'm not going to lie. I may have entertained the idea of when and if I ever sell to keep the great smoke and then just go on and do a city to city production of it. You know, not as a retailer anymore. But then there's logistic issues of how do we sell, or maybe I go to a retailer strong in the area and consult him and do it. I don't know. Just yeah, talking you can part. Yeah, you just talking part out of my ass at this point. But right. Yeah. Hypothetically, in the current state coop, it couldn't happen. Okay. But it, but but the scenario has come up. That's what's interesting. I was it's already have come up multiple times. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. I multiple was actually wondering if it did. All right. You said you have a meeting to discuss last year's Great Smoke, and you're going to do it again this year. What was the biggest lesson learned that you needed to take out of last year's Great Smoke? Dude, there's like 84 points. I'd have to really okay. pull up okay. my... There, 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 I could probably scroll through them and tell you, but... Um, was it one that stood out? Yeah, maybe. Um, you know, a lot of the things aren't things that you know. It's like where we had lack of security points. Um the, the, the South Florida Fairgrounds, who handles the concessions, the cash bars belong to them. One of the biggest problems last year is he was supposed to be outside. There was going to have water for the people and a cash bar if anybody wanted early cocktails. He never showed up. Oh, interesting. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's certain things I remember logistically, but most of it is how do we change the lines, the tickets, what the problem was had getting the you know people to pack and check people in quickly, where we had security failures. Um Oven wasn't hot for some of the food. We have to make sure we have a better oven this year, which, you know, I don't rent. The caterer rents. But that's, right. you know, one of my talking points with him. Yeah, you can't have like, lukewarm food. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's literally, it could be anywhere from 60 to 120 points of improvement. Most of them aren't major catastrophes. They're just tweaks here and there and changes here and there. But we have to do it that Monday morning because we'll forget. And honestly, one of my goals this year, if you want to laugh, because we don't start looking at this like till November, you know, right. one of my goals this year is to write it down in a more cohesive way. I can't tell you how many points we look at. Does anybody know what the fuck this means? Does anybody know? <laughs> I don't remember what this note meant. It, you know, it says something, but I can't remember what it's pertaining to. And oh, yeah. We've hit points that none of us can remember. So I got to be more detailed. And, and, and really say, hey, when I read this again, I may have no clue what this means. So I got to be more detailed in, in the note taking after the event. Yeah. All right. So we've talked about TGS, rich history. You've done a lot of crazy things, wacky things, innovative things. Some have worked, some haven't. You know, dunk tanks, uh, the concert. Um, Biggest flop in TGS history. Up the con I was going to say the concert. No, that, we were all I mean we were, we were, no one wanted to stay. We didn't want to stay that year. Biggest flop of TGS history, right? So we end up getting Foghat to come and play. Like, yeah, that so credentials. My great concern band. was, do I take this opportunity and throw Foghat up on stage during the Great Smoke? People are walking around getting cigars. People are right. dunking things. People, I mean, I just would assume that people would like to really sit back and watch the concert. Okay. So 
the thing was, I think we hired a DJ for music during the day, and then the event was over at five. Yep. And, and then the at concert. Thirty. They were gonna put on a private one-hour concert for all the attendees of the Great Smoke. Bro, five o'clock came and those people ran for the hills. There was like no one there. Yeah, there was like eight. We fog yet through a private concert for like eighty of us. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, five hours of drinking, eating, partying. No one gave a shit to sit and watch concert. They're ready to go. So probably one of the biggest epic fails of the Great Smoke. I mean, not that it was a fail, no harm, no foul, but wow. You for, you, yeah. It, You're talking it, about something that just didn't develop the impact and the punch uh, that we thought it was going to have. Yeah. That was a big one. What you've done oh, other Alan, things. Foghat's a great band to catch a Don't, free concert from you. He he thought the Billy Joel song was great. So, yeah, no. Alan. <laughs> go right. find a Wawa and go have dinner. <laughs> All right. But you, the, the things that you've done that have worked, right? Is there any one of those fun things that worked in the past that maybe you say, we need to bring that back this year? I've been asked to bring the bull ride back. Bull ride was, oh, that Pete Hernandez. I've been that, asked to bring the dunk tank back. Dunk tank back probably will never come back because now it's indoors and the water was just. Yeah. Oh. Well, you got to remember that I think the dunk tank and the, the bull worked because of the, the principles involved. You had Lady M in the dunk tank and Pete Hernandez on the bull. So, well, yeah. everybody liked the bull because we kept track of who had the longest bull ride. Yeah, and so people kept back trying to beat the score. It was actually yeah. kind of an effective, effective uh, thing. Um, the money machine we did for a couple of years. Um, I think that may come back in a manufacturer yeah. side. I don't know what's going to come back from our side. Um, I'm trying to think of other cool shit. We had casino night. Um. Yeah, I mean, look, if we run out of idea, it's been so long we could bring an idea back. But right, we haven't been running out of cool things to do. So yeah. you know, maybe at some point, some of these things will come back. No, no, it's important. Yeah, it's a good. Like I said there's a rich history with it. Um, you need to put a documentary together on that, Abe. The history of the TGS. It needs to be documented somewhere. And I'm actually serious about that because I think historically, there's a, a story that's been told over. 15 years and almost 20 years now with this. So maybe something to, to well, think about. In your free time and my free time, we'll put it together, Coop. Um, I can help you out with it. I'd be willing to help you, I'd be willing to help you out with it. Yeah. I I'll think it needs to be done. My... I, 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 seriously, I think it needs to be done. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. I know, but yeah. I'll tell you one of my biggest regrets um, was not having, not hiring a real company to come out the 60 days prior to the digital experience and literally do a documentary. Doc, that would have been incredible. And, yeah. you know, I was so deep into it. I mean, it was just, that, that was an afterthought. It really wasn't until it was all done. You look back and say, God, man, somebody should have recorded uh, yeah. everything. We had never done a TV production, had no idea what TV production was. I became a, a screenwriter and an executive director overnight. I mean, it was just, it was insane. It was insane when we went through that whole process of putting a digital, as, as much as everybody was flabbergasted and I got calls. I got calls and texts from everybody in the industry, from retailers to manufacturers who saw it. Um, and, you know, what they saw was just the appeal. You know, the the putting together of that whole thing from set design to production to finding the right broadcast team to figuring it out every by the minute what was going to happen was really a, a, something I really, as a, a, I regret that I didn't have the foresight to say, hey, we need to document this process. 
you know, and it's really stupid on my behalf because my whole tagline is be a part of history. So there was yeah. a voice in my head that said, we're going to make history here, but never stopped to say, hey, maybe we should yeah. document history. Yeah, it was a slip up See, on my part. I thought about with KMA too, but KMA is easier because we have the archives. Every show is archived. Right. So that's right. an easier project to do. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I think, like I said, it, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's incredible. When I look back, I think I'm going over 10 years ago into these and it's so much. So, yeah. All right, last question tonight I have for you, Abe. What is the size of the staff you need to support the TGS event this year? Hmm. I have a and big I, I have a big tablet sheet of paper. Right. With all the positions and what they're doing at one time. A lot of it's our staff, a lot of it's outside people we hire. Um, because we don't we there's more bodies than we have in our whole company to run the Great Smoke. Um now you're talking just just event day, event day. I know. So I'm talking right. to temp staff as well. I'm talking so, to temp staff. But you're talking about just event day, event. Well, any temp staff that you like, if you have to hire staff to like put up scaffolds or something like that, then that would. No, count. Like I mean, look, we bring in people right now. I got a bunch of college students packing right. the cigar right. boxes. I got team right. sweep right now. But I'm talking about just event day. Okay, let's go to event day. Let's go to event yeah, day. So just event day. I'd say it's in the vicinity of sixty-five to seventy people. Big. That's a that's babe. That's big for this. You know how many people in this city have sixty-five to seventy people? Staffs. That's big. Sixty-five to seventy people. What? Like how many people? How many companies in this business have sixty-five to seventy staff people? Is what I'm saying. We don't. Time. That's why we, we got to bring so many outside people. Yeah, yeah. It's unheard of. You know, one of the changes we made a couple of years ago was, you know, all the security spots. We we just hired an outside firm. Right. It was too much pressure on our staff because, look, man, we, we just got to follow the rules. Yeah. And it was too much pressure on our staff to deal with customers they knew. Can I just get in the VIP second for a minute? Can I just get in five minutes? Can I just get in? And, you know, it was it was a lot of them. You know, I mean, it was like some of these guys were cracking under pressure. So we just said, you know what? We're going to hire strangers. They don't know nobody. They don't know the manufacturers. They don't care who they're offending. And they'll just make sure that the rules get followed. So that the security team alone, I think, is seven people, eight people. Yeah. Wow. I mean, yeah, you think about, I mean, yeah, you think about the parking lot. Yeah. I mean, back in the parking lot, it was easier. You had those, the, you know, barriers. Yeah, we, really, you know, we had those white picket fences that anybody could just step over at the time. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Come on. I mean, it's just, but that's what we had. Yeah, exactly. If, if there's one thing we were always been good at, we were able to use what we had and make the best out of it. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's where you really see the growth. No, I agree. I agree. All right, Ben, do we have anything else for Abe? I was just going to say, when you first did this, did you ever foresee it becoming the way it is now, as big as it is? Never. Never in a million years. It was designed to be a local, small event. We said, ah, oh, we get, you know, two, three hundred people. This would be a great event and whatever. And yeah, never, 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 never did I think it would get to where it is. And not just in size, just in production quality man we got a production team that makes sets now and you know you know ceiling treatments and it's nuts it's absolutely nuts so yeah never i i can't even lie but you know what ben it's really funny because you listen to people who go oh, i got a five-year plan i got a 10-year plan I, I didn't see us becoming where we are today even as a company i didn't see us having our own warehouse which i grossly underestimated the size we needed i mean 
my focus most of the time is I just got to do whatever I'm doing now right and the best I can. The rest of the shit just kind of happens, you know? Maybe I was a little too conservative in my life. I mean, if I was a really ballsy guy and, you know, maybe single and didn't have kids and stuff I had to worry about, you know, because, you know, I care less about it, you know, I might have been where I'm at now 10 years ago, you know? So, I mean, it's all relative, but, you know, I guess my philosophy is we're just going to, whatever we're doing now, make it the best we can make it. And stuff falls into place. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's worked out really good so far. I mean, you now you have something that is talked about through the cigar world as a premier destination event to go yeah, to. It, it absolutely I mean, is. It absolutely yeah, I never would have thought it really. Yeah, it it absolutely is a pillar. Uh, if someone told me the amount of money that we spend putting on, if they someone told me ten years ago, I would have dropped dead of a heart attack. But that's another reason why it keeps growing. We can reinvest a lot. You know, we don't mind spending for the experience. I know there's shit that we spend money on that no one would ever know if we didn't do it. Right? Oh, is it really important? But you know what? It's like it's like the dish I was talking about. It takes a lot of ingredients. It takes a lot of ingredients to make an epic dish. And yeah, this little decor here, this little thing here. You know, look, we spend money on stupid lanyards that you think not necessary. Man, I got people who show up with all 17 of them around their neck. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's part of the success is that you have to be willing to constantly grow. And growing means spending more money and putting it back into it. So, and that's resonated well with the people and the experience they have. And I think that's why our event keeps growing because we don't let it get stagnant. We will spend more money. We will make it better. And it's been a formula for success for this event. Yeah. You know, Abe, when you went to the German club, I remember when I moved to, I said, all right, this is great. He's, he's found it. I mean, this is, this event's peaked. I'm not, not to say it peaked right? and it was going to go down, but I said, it's hard. It's going to be hard to top the German club. Right. It was, I was right? saying, yeah. And now you look back and you're like, wow, how bad was it back then? I mean, <laughs> Not that it was bad, but it's like, you know. No, going into the main expo hall uh yeah. like the last two years, and even like even when we were in the fairgrounds, you were kind of under those those big tents with the dirt floors, right? Um, which again it was I didn't think it was bad at all. Um, but yeah, moving into the expo hall, it was like wow. And, so, and, and listen, that was done by accident. That wasn't done by design. No, they moved you. They had they they had booked they it. They moved some. me last minute. I remember, I was like I was pissed. Yeah. I had to spend 14 hours redoing a floor plan that I had set already for the last five or six years. Yeah. I didn't want to do it. And then I know it's way more expensive than what we were paying before. Right. I, mean, I didn't think I'd ever want to be there again. And I, I, I kind of felt safe. I really felt safe because I said, man, if I go in here and I like it, it's just going to cost me a lot more money, but there's no way they're going to have a couple thousand people in here smoking cigars and they'll ever let me back. They'll never have you having. That was my like feel safe. They'll never let me throw this event right. back in. Yeah. And man, when when I walked in the morning of and I saw how everything looked all under one thing, I said, Wow, I gotta do this here again next year. Yeah. There's, there's just no way I can go backwards and go back to the agriplex. So when I went and asked them, I said, Look, you know, it was it was a last minute decision. It was a last minute decision when I say it's the last minute, I had made the decision the day of the Great Smoke event, a year in advance still. What 
what's the possibilities we could do this event in the here next year? They're like, you know, it's going to cost a lot more money. I'm just curious. I mean, is it possible? They're like, yeah. I'm like, fuck. And um, that's why last year it was in March because there was nothing left in February. And that's why now we got to go at least 18 months plus to right. ensure a date when we want. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. Good. I bet. All right. So, Abe, thanks again for uh, making the time. Um, as always, Ben, thank you as well. No, man. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. It's nice to actually talk to you where it's not KMA. And right. We can, we can, yeah. We're just having a conversation. It's nice. Yeah. No, it is. And I know you do a lot of these. We try to kind of put our spin on it. And uh, hopefully, you know, it did. But uh, we, it, it's very much appreciated. Um, we have KMA this Saturday. So I'll look forward to that. Ben, ben, you and I have a show coming up, the Casada Corner Show on Monday. So that's right. Yep. So, sure yep. So uh, I think you've been smoking that one uh, a few times I've seen. Yep. Yes, so, I have. Yep. So we'll be talking about that on Monday. So, uh, and then uh, on Thursday on primetime, I'll just mention um, we have everyone's favorite guy to pick on, Justin Andrews on. Uh, the man of a thousand releases, the man of a thousand excuses, and the man of a thousand vacations. So, listen, Coop, before let me go, I just want to let everybody know there are virtual and live tickets still available. Um, if you're interested in learning more about it, if you didn't know about it, if you haven't gotten your ticket, I urge you to do so. Go to thegreatsmoke.com. And if you did get a ticket, please do us a favor. We have spent time doing an in depth TGS facts page. Read it. You'll learn a lot of things that you'll maybe miss out on if you don't. <laughs> what a, oh, I'm sure you get a lot of messages in your inbox on that issue. Bro, I just send them the link. I just tell our team to send them the link to the facts page. Yeah. Just yeah. yeah. Hey, thanks for trying. You might want to take a moment to read this. No, it, it's pretty comprehensive, folks. So yeah, definitely uh check it out. Uh it will answer everything you you need to to do on that. And if you need to see what your ticket includes, check this out. Um you can't beat this. So uh yeah. you know what I mean? Uh you know, uh, I know we were talking about the shot glasses on Saturday on KMA. The shot glasses are, that's my favorite part of that. So it was actually a noodle bowl. Yeah, it's a noodle bowl. It's, uh, people I saw a big of... noodle bowl that was yeah. designed like that. And the noodle bowl was red. The first shot glass they sent us was red. And then we realized after we'd already made some things with the red logo, the red logo doesn't really sit red well on red. So right. everything kind of transitioned to black after that. Yep. yep. Nice. All right, so that that's gonna do it, Abe. So appreciate it. Uh, thanks again, to our audience. Um, and um, look forward to everybody um tuning in and folk. Uh, great smoke. Uh, a lot of fun. So take care, everybody. Ben, thanks again, and we'll see everybody next time.